0: You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Character. Jesus is very interested in Christian character. That is the moral and virtuous disposition of one's heart. The posture of the heart. Truly, for Jesus, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And Jesus is is interested, along with character, he's interested in Christian witness. How they take that formed character, that inner life, and go into the world as salt and light. Salt, which fights back moral decay. And light, which brings his illumination to the darkness. Furthermore, because Jesus has already brought up this concept of righteousness in the Beatitudes and now the moral obligations of his followers to be salt and light, because he's already done this, Jesus anticipated the Jewish response to his teaching, these questions that would well up in in the minds of his first century audience. Is this a new teaching? What about the law of Moses? Does this conflict with the Mosaic law? And so anticipating these questions in our time last week, Jesus, you'll remember, replied to them, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I haven't come to tear it down. I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but quite the opposite. I've come to fulfill it, to complete it, which is quite a claim. Jesus is claiming that he has come to complete the book complete all of the promises of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, on the completion of the story, all of the Old Testament was pointing to me. You can imagine again the gasp of air that came over the crowd. But then to everyone's shock again, Jesus went on to say that our righteousness, that of Christians, his disciples, must exceed that of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if our righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he meant, of course, is twofold. First, positional righteousness is a gift from God. He's talking to his disciples who are already on the mountain with him. He is not talking about how to morally climb the mountain of salvation in order to get to Jesus and get to heaven. No, he's talking about a gifted righteousness that comes only through the finished work of Christ himself. But second, Christian righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees because it is a deeper righteousness. The scribes and the Pharisees were pretentious, they were stage actors. We'll talk about this a bit more as we talk about hypocrisy. Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs. They were clean on the outside, impressive even on the outside. But on the inside, they were full of dead man's bones. Their outside didn't match the inside. And so Jesus calls his disciples then and now to a deeper righteousness. That's what he means by your righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They had a false righteousness. And so Jesus is is really interested about the interior life of his people, not merely what they do on the outside. And so Jesus gives, in our time last week, example after example of what kingdom, his kingdom, people are to look like. And he says they don't punch back when they're punched. They repent of murder in their heart. They love their enemies. They take lust seriously. In other words, Jesus's people use the law of God in the way it was intended. Not to exercise power and authority and to take from people. The law was never intended for those in authority to take from people. But we learned last week, didn't we, But this law was intended to love, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so Jesus is not bringing a new law. He's not competing with Moses, but he's detangling, he's untangling these interpretations, these scribal interpretations of the law from human invention and innovation. And he's Repreaching the law as it was intended. This is the law of love. Now, then, in our text this morning, Jesus is going to continue to push for authentic Christianity. He's going to continue to drill down into authentic Christianity by addressing three common expected practices from those who would follow after him. Christ has, as it were, set the principal foundation of what true righteousness is. And now he is moving towards the practical. He's going to get very practical. And he's going to talk about three things at first that are expected behaviors from his kingdom people. And that, of course, is prayer, or rather giving, then prayer, and then fasting. Our sermon this morning will have just two points. Don't get excited. I've got three points wrapped up in the first point. Two points this morning, really simply, point one, do not be like the hypocrites. And point two, how not to become like the hypocrites. And I believe these points are undergirded in this text before us. So point one, do not be like the hypocrites. Let's listen to Christ in verse one one more time. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It seems a bit confusing, almost as if Jesus might be contradicting himself by saying this because it was just a moment ago in chapter 5 that Jesus commanded his disciples to display their good works before others. But now Jesus is saying not to practice your righteousness before others. So so which is it, Jesus? Are we to display our good works before others or not practice our righteousness before others? Well, when you take a step back and read a bit further and read the verses in full, you realize that Jesus is honing in again on the motivation for these behaviors. The motivation for public obedience should be not whether or not someone praises you for that behavior, but instead your motivation for Christian obedience ought to be the glory of God. Remember, in the first instance, Christians are to shine their light before others, that they might see their good works and give glory to their Father who is in heaven. And of course, in verse 1 now of chapter 6 in our text, Jesus is saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Those qualifying clauses make all the difference in the world. The activity may look exactly the same, but the motivations of the heart could be worlds apart. One is performing for the applause of man, while the other is performing for the praise of God's own glory. And the question that I think Jesus is getting at and the question for us this morning is what kind of reward are you looking for? What kind of reward am I looking for? Even as I preach this sermon, I'm well aware that I very well could be practicing some sort of religious righteousness before others. That's the question before us this morning. What kind of of reward, are we looking for? Because the audience of man can give you a reward. And that reward can be intoxicating. And it can even last your entire life. The applause of man is very intoxicating. And it can last a long time. While the other, there is another reward, another kind of reward. And Jesus says, This reward comes from the Father who is in heaven. And this reward may not come. It may not come with the shiny luster of material gain in this life. But this reward promises unspeakable joy now and for eternity. And so the question before us this morning is what kind of reward do you want as we're passing through this little dash on our headstones? What are you after? What do you want? And so with this in mind, Jesus looks at three common outlets for religious obedience, giving, praying, and fasting. And he wants to warn his disciples then and now against the danger of hypocrisy. And he wants to positively point us to a reward that the Father in heaven sees and gives And so we'll look briefly at these three examples under this point, how not to become like the hypocrites. First, look at verse 2. This is giving. Jesus goes right to the practical. Look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, before we move forward, notice what Jesus didn't say in verse 2. He doesn't say, If you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. Do you notice that? Instead, Jesus said, When you give to the needy. So, Jesus is not taking away or disqualifying the virtue of giving. When you give to the needy. In fact, Sacrificial giving to others is a natural consequence of a converted heart. The natural consequence of an unconverted heart is hoarding things to yourself because this is as good as it gets. So why would I give to anybody? That would mean less for me. But instead, for the Christian, for the kingdom, believer, sacrificial, giving to others in need is a natural consequence of a converted heart. Why? Because Christians are aware that we are on our way to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. An unfading crown of glory is awaiting for all of eternity. So we give now. We also give now because everything the Christian gives or receives is a gift We become givers because we have been gifted everything. What do you have that you weren't given, Paul says, to the church? And so we don't hoard or bury things, we we give them. So the expectation from Jesus is when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, but of course, again, the posture of the heart is paramount to Christ. Christ. Christian character is essential. Jesus says, when you give to people in need, sound no trumpet before you. And this is exactly what would happen, according to one commentator, this is what would happen in the temple or in the synagogues. There, there would be a time for almsgiving. And those who had lots of money would come first. And they would sound the trumpets as they would give their large sums of money it's almost like as, as we're taking communion if we just if we did the offering that way and everybody would stand in line and those who would give the most would come first and those who gave the most we'd sound the trumpets even louder and of course those who are giving those kinds of funds would say oh no 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 we're not i'm not we're not sounding the trumpet for me We're sounding the trumpet to alert the needy that large portions of income have come into the temple and that lets them know that their needs can be met. So we're sounding the trumpet for other people and Jesus just calls them out. And he says, no, you're not. You're sounding the trumpet for yourself. You're sounding the trumpet for the applause of man. And Jesus says to his church then and now, Do not be like them. Now, none of us would be as audacious as to sound a trumpet when we gave something away, but we have other forms of trumpets, don't we? I think of social media posts of when we're doing our devotions. Look at verses three and four. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So now he's not even thinking about trumpets for other people. Jesus is now saying, I don't even want you to be impressed with you. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm not gonna blast it on social media. I'm not gonna tell all the people that I gave my my stuff away, but boy, I really am impressed with myself right now. That was impressive. Jesus says, don't even do that. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Forget what you've done. John Stott writes this in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, our Christian giving is neither to be before men waiting for the slow clap to begin, nor even before ourselves, our left hand applauding our right hand's generosity. But our giving is to be before God who sees our secret heart and rewards us with the discovery that, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So when you give, sound no trumpet, whatever your trumpet is, Maybe a good exercise would be to, when you give, pray that God will receive glory and that you might forget what you have just done and move on. So first is giving. Next is prayer. This is the second example that Jesus drills down on. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, again, not if, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. There's the motivation that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, verse 6, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Literally in the Greek is babblings. Do not heap up empty babblings as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, verse 8. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So just like the example of giving to the needy, again, Jesus says, if you pray in public in order to be seen by others, then you have received your reward. Literally, you're paid in full. That's as good as it gets. If that's your motivation, then that is as good as it gets. You are paid. There's no other reward coming to you. However, there is a reward with your heavenly father that transcends earthly awe and praise. Do you want that reward? Or do you want the applause now? That's the choice. Because again, the essence of Christian prayer, like Christian giving, is not to appease spectators or to be praised by them. But instead, the essence of Christian prayer is the enjoyment of fellowship with the living God. Have you experienced that in your life? Have you experienced that kind of pleasure of being in fellowship with the living God in prayer? The essence of Christian prayer is to express our need to our Heavenly Father and to ask that our sinful desires would be shaped by God's good and wise purposes for life. That's the essence of Christian prayer, enjoying His fellowship and being shaped by His presence. It is true, and I love reading the old Puritan prayers. It is true that our prayers, I love hearing you pray. It is true that our prayers can edify the saints as we pray to God, but we have a primary audience, and that is our Father who is in heaven. Do you know he delights to hear your words? He delights to hear your longings and desires. The Lord's Prayer. We won't go through the the Lord's Prayer in detail this morning, but it is a model prayer, and I just want to say practically to you this morning: if if you're if you're wondering, if you're in a season where you just feel prayerless, or you feel dry, or or you don't know how to pray, we mentioned this at the prayer meeting last week. That of all the things that the, that Jesus did and taught and performed. He walked on water, he turned water into wine and so forth. Of all the things that Jesus did, the one question the disciples asked him on how to do something was how to pray. How do you pray? Teach us to pray. And in this model prayer, I would encourage you to go back to this model prayer. It's a simple cry from a child to their father. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth it is as it is in heaven. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. I've got needs today. I'm a needy person. I need. That's fundamental to my constitution. I need. Give me this day my daily bread and forgive me of my trespasses, my sins, as I forgive those who trespass, who sin against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And the old King James, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A simple, powerful prayer of dependence to the Lord. So first, giving. He gives that example. Then praying. And then the final and third example that Jesus gives is fasting. Look at verses 16 and following. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward paid in full. But when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is fasting? Fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food for a period of time aimed at filling those physical hunger pains with seeking the will of God through his word and through prayer. My understanding of fasting is that it disciplines the body. It disciplines the body to make sure that your physical body knows why it exists. Because the physical body, as you know, has strong appetites. Strong appetites. It loves good taste. It loves sleep. It loved that extra hour of sleep we got last night. I I honestly said thank you, Lord, for that. As soon as I woke up, thank you, Lord. My body loves that has a strong appetite for rest. It it loves our body, does soothing comforts. And all of these things are not bad in and of themselves. But oftentimes, listen, oftentimes our physical appetites can take over and begin to dictate our lives. Our direction in life, our purpose, our worldview, the decisions we make are around the comfort of our bodies. And so fasting, fasting reminds our bodies why they exist. Our bodies exist for the praise of the glory of God. That is the primary purpose and direction of our lives. And so fasting is this discipline. But again, this good discipline was being abused. And Jesus says, when you fast, don't be like those who walk around. It's like, you know, here's the example. You you see your, your Christian brother, Bill. Sorry if your name is Bill. Hey, Bill, good morning. How are you? Happy Lord's Day to you. Oh, happy Lord's Day to you too. Bill, are you okay? Is everything okay? How's Carol? How's the kids? Everybody okay? Oh, no, they're fine. Carol and the kids are fine. What's going on, Bill? Is there anything I can pray for you for? Oh, no. In fact, I should be praying for you, actually, because I am uh, <clears throat> i am fasting. <laughs> so, would you, would you, if you do pray, would you pray for me that I get through this week? Because we've got some really big decisions we're making and so forth. Jesus says, do not be like that. If you want to do that, go for it. But that's your reward. You're paid in full. Instead, anoint your head. Wash your face. Don't act gloomy. It's the equivalent of, you know, wash your face, brush, comb your hair. Act like a normal human being. Why? Because your father sees you. And he sees in secret. He's not, God is not impressed with the outside of the cup. Jesus would always say to his disciples, Don't look to the things that are seen. We are so drunk on things that we can see. Don't look to the things that are seen, look to the things that are unseen. That's what God sees. What reward are you after? And so again, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So there it is. Jesus is using the common practices of giving, of praying, of fasting to warn his disciples then and now against the danger of hypocrisy. That is point one. Do not be like the hypocrites. Point two. And finally, how not to be like the hypocrites. Well, Jesus has already laid out what not to do. And he followed it up with what to do. Don't do this. Instead, do this. Don't sound an alarm when you give. Don't pray so others may applaud you or look gloomy when you fast. Jesus has already shown us how not to associate with hypocrisy. But what I want us to notice this morning is this incredible reality embedded in these 18 verses that absolutely changes everything about our relationship to God and therefore our motivation for obedience in things like prayer and giving and fasting, but all Christian obedience. Again, throughout these 18 verses, Jesus is imploring his disciples to not be like the hypocrite. A hypocrite is like a stage actor. That's what the word hypocrisy means. It's somebody who's on a stage. I was in a play once, and i never want to do it again, but I was in a play when I was 11 or 12. I was Huckleberry Finn, and every time I go visit family, someone reminds me of that terrible moment in my life, but I would always forget my lines, you know, you know, ironically, I'm a, I'm a preacher, but I have my lines right here. I've got my notes, but I would always forget my lines. I was terrified, absolutely terrified of acting. But there were some people that were really, really good at it. And, and this, this pressure and stage acting is essentially, you know this, is, is pretending to be something you're not. In, in and as, as a form of entertainment, that's fine. We know what's happening on the stage or the movie screen. I have to remind my kids, the little ones especially, it's not real, this is not real, this is just pretend. This is just pretend. But Jesus, what Jesus is warning against is taking something like that and folding it into real life. Folding it into religious behavior and being a hypocrite, a, a mask wearer, a stage actor. And Jesus is saying, do not be like that. He says it over and over and over again. But contrasting the hypocrite, and this is the unbelievable discovery, contrasting the stage actor, Jesus is exhorting his disciples to not behave like actors, but instead to behave like sons and daughters. Ten times in 18 verses, Jesus says to his disciples, your father, your father in heaven, your father sees you, your father knows what you need before you've ever even thought to ask him. Your father sees in secret and will reward you, your father, ten times in 18 verses. And I would suggest to you this morning that the only thing, the only thing that can change the motivation of your religious behavior is a vibrant discovery of your and my relationship to God as father. It absolutely stunned the first century when Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth, would go around saying things like, my father in heaven you just don't talk like that. If you're to address God as father, you would to say he is the father of Israel. He is the father of the holy nation. You would never use a personal pronoun, my father. In fact, that was one of the things that got Jesus on the cross. He keeps saying that God's his father. That's one thing. But now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not saying my father He's looking to his 12 ragtag group of people saying, your father, your father knows you. Your father sees you. This is absolutely groundbreaking material. This new family dynamic given to those who are in Christ changes everything. Think about this as you relate to your own kids. My kids, your kids, can disappoint us. They can hurt us. They can bring us to the point where we feel like we need to discipline them because of their behavior. But your kids and my kids, my kids will never, ever, ever do anything that would ever make me stop loving them as their father. and if that is true and Jesus will say this later if that is true of earthly fathers who are flawed how much more is this true of our heavenly father can we grieve his heart as his children yes can we move him to good discipline of us yes could we ever move our heavenly father to cut us off from his family never never. And Jesus is saying, don't be like the stage actors. You don't need to be a hypocrite. Why? You're family. You got a seat at the table. The author of Hebrews says that that God is not ashamed to call you and I family. And if you couple that with another doctrine, another attribute of God, which is his immutability, that is the doctrine that God does not change and cannot change, that changes everything for us. He is your father, and he will never stop being your father ever. Ever. What does that do to you? What does that do as you think of your own religious behavior? to your giving, to your praying, to your fasting. The point that Jesus, I think, is making is that you no longer need the applause of man when you discover that you possess the affection of your heavenly Father. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Our call to worship this morning, Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Stop right there. We know that Jesus felt every liberty to say, Abba, Father, Father. Now Paul is saying that through the Spirit, through the atonement that comes in Christ, we get to say, we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When is the last time you've curled up in your father's arms? J.I. Packer writes, In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is to be a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. I've said this to you before, but there is no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God. God is not everyone's father. God is everyone's creator. But he is not everyone's father. Jesus is not saying your father to the crowd that is listening in the distance. He is saying your father to the disciples that are before him. This is a divine privilege at the very heart of the gospel to be able to say, our Father in heaven. To cry out, Abba, Father, is at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not merely royal subjects. We are children in his heavenly family. I've said this before also, but in the gospel, we have been given a key to the front door of our father's home. You are in Christ, which means you are part of the family of God. Your father, your father knows, your father sees, your father hears, and your father cares for his own. It's okay not to be okay around your father. When a stranger is around, it's awkward. Chest tightening when you don't know the person. But when you're around your father, he welcomes it. It, it animates the heart of God to hear your expressed need before him. When my kids come to me and they have an expressed need, they, they feel scared, they feel small, they feel needy. The last thing on my mind is go figure it out. If that's true of earthly fathers that are flawed... How much more is that true of your heavenly father? It animates his heart to hear the needs of his children. Lastly, I am convinced that this doctrine, this is the doctrine that Satan is most afraid that you and I believe. This doctrine of adoption. Because if we finally believe that in Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, the great judge over the living and the dead, is that in Christ God becomes our father, then everything changes. Fear is replaced with love. And obedience comes now from joy and not mere obligation. If God is our father, then we can say with confidence, he will protect us. Amen. He will provide for us, amen. He will shelter us. He will comfort our anxious hearts. He will finally and fully rescue us. Why? Because we are his children and he is a good father. May this identity as sons and daughters of God affect our motivations and right obedience. May we give with cheerful hearts, not expecting any applause from man, May we pray with earnest expectation and fast with eager longing all to the praise and glory of God, our Father. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, holy is your name. Oh, there's tension in that one sentence. You are near, you are affectionate, And you are holy, you are other, you are different. Lord, this is the staggering center of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the nearness of this holy God to us in Christ. God, would you transform us, would you shape us by this love of the Father? Help me and help us not to embrace stage acting, pretension, mask wearing, performance. God, help us to reject those rewards that come from that kind of living and embrace this reward from our heavenly Father. We pray this now in Jesus' good name. Amen.